Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Welcome to the show this morning. I am Andy Griffin. It's uh, 10 minutes after 9 o'clock, and uh, I'm pleased to welcome a special guest into the studio today. Dr. Doug Alder is joining me, and Dr. Uh, I don't know, do I call you Doug? Do I call you Mr. Alder? Doctor? Doug. Doug is good. Okay, Doug, thank you for, for coming in today. Uh, many of you who have been around St. George a while know who uh, Doug Alder is, uh, former president of Dixie College. Uh and, uh, and a history teacher, a history buff, a history expert, if you will. Uh, Doug, Doug has a, uh, a bachelor's and a master's from the University of Utah, a doctorate from the University of Oregon. Is that right? You're a duck? But I did my <laughs> dissertation in Vienna. Vienna, Austria. Amazing. Uh, now, uh, one of the uh, areas that uh, Doug is an expert in is European history. And you taught that for many years, didn't you? So... Uh, and, and then you came to southern Utah. And tell me about how you ended up down here in St. George. The LDS Church stole the president of Dixie College and sent him to Hawaii. <laughs> and so they desperately needed a, a president. And there was one standing in line, and everyone in this town was in favor of having R.J. Snow be the president. His father had been president. He had been student body president. He had been vice president of the University of Utah for fundraising. He was absolutely qualified. Uh But they had to have some other people as candidates. And I had three students down here from Utah State on the faculty. And they called me and said, we want to uh, put your name in to be president. I said, look, RJ should be the president. And they said, but he's an administrator. We want a professor. Oh, nice. (laughs) So I put the, let him put my name in, knowing there was no way in the world that anyone but R.J. would become the president. Well, when the board got down to talking about it, they had a very delicate issue. Mm-hmm. They wanted to keep their model for higher education, which was two research universities, two state universities, Weber and Cedar, and five community colleges. So right. Dixie was to be a community college. Well, of course, R.J., wanted Dixie to become a state university, and he sure. told them so. And they, when they got down to settling it, said, he's not going to be cooperative of our system. Our, he, he had 10 out of 12 votes. And so they dropped it, and I was selected. So Now, once when I was being trained to be a president, the president of the University of Wisconsin spoke to us and says, no, if you're ever made a president, you were the compromise candidate. Mm. <laughs> So that's how I ended up here, and I didn't. We didn't know anybody in town except those t- three people and one other p- person, and the people in town were um, upset again. The board of regents was controlling them. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so Snow's ambition maybe cost him the job and got you the job, huh? Well, for, yeah, for the school, then, ambition for the school. Tragically, just four years later, he died. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you were you were uh, Dixie College president for was it seven years, seven Se- eight years, seven years, uh huh. And um, did you at that point? You know, we we have a lot of pride in where we live here in St. George. At that point, did you feel like, all right, I I'm now in love with St. George and I'm not going anywhere? Well, I got to tell you a little story. Okay. We lived in Logan, and uh, we lived there 23 years on the faculty. And uh, on the 21st year, my wife went for her medical 
visit annual, and the doctor said to you, next year I'm going to put you in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You're getting emphysema. Mm. And then he said, you need to get out of the high elevation, the cold, and the inversion. Hmm. And that spells St. George. S-T-G, yeah. So here we were down here, and there was no way of going back there, even though they wanted us to. So we stayed here, and we are very, very glad we did. Well, you know, Doug, I followed you somewhat in that I went to Utah State. Uh, I think I got there right after you left. Uh, And then I came down here uh, not long after you came down here. So uh, I do have a degree from Utah State University. And the town has somehow survived that invasion. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I don't think we're the only ones that moved here either uh, over over the years. But uh, Doug Alder currently uh, is a a lecturer for uh, what used to be Elder Hostel Program. Now it's Road Scholar. Uh, Maybe it'd be better. Can you explain what Road Scholar is right now? Because I think I I talk to people about it. You know, my parents were involved with it for many years. and, And And most people are like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of it. Well, there are 900 institutions, mostly universities, that offer this program. And it's run by the university in Boston, not Harvard. And they put out a fabulous catalog and send it to everybody who's interested. And the people choose which, which program they want. So... We have nearly 2,000 people a year come in groups of 40. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come largely because of Zion National Park and Grand Canyon and things like that. Sure. So we spend a couple of days here in town, and then they start out on the uh, national parks. A couple of screwball groups come to golf <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> play tennis and uh well there's another thing they do okay there's a photography group isn't there they they come and take pictures yeah yeah Yeah. but mostly they go to climb the mountains and uh hear the the stories of the national parks yeah and so my my parents were for a long time hosts my dad was a geologist on these tours and my mom Uh uh, was was one of the hosts uh and that's where they got to know you doug and 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 uh, they speak very highly of you first of all and and i'll show you that's i'll tell you why they do because what i do with those people is pure ham and they like it Well, you were telling me a little bit about it. You actually become different characters in helping illustrate the history of St. George. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I play Orson Pratt and Erastus Snow and Judge McFarlane. And watch out on the Judge McFarlane because one of the people in that courtroom is going to be found guilty. Uh-oh. Yeah. And, guilty and, of taking his irrigation out of turn. Uh-oh. And we here live in harmony. And I'm in charge of enforcing it. <laughs> now, now I would imagine, I mean, we're joking about it, but water rights were probably a really big oh, deal here they in, were in St. Absolutely George essential. And you said that was an offense that... that, that and I what? get a big kick out of the people that come and, and, and they come and stay in the college, the university inn, and right across the street from them, there's a ditch that has water running in it. And they come in and they say, these stupid people wasting water. <laughs> and I have to tell them that that's the pipe that delivers the water to the irrigation spots. Yeah, yeah, you have to explain to people that this is, in fact, a desert. And even the water we're looking at across the street here in the park is secondary water, uh, not, not a potable water, drinkable water. No, but, no, no, no. Okay. However, 
In the early days, that's what they did drink. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Our, our, our constitutions are a little more delicate nowadays. Now i got to tell you a little story. Okay. We once had a mayor named Anthony W. Ivins. Uh, Ivins. Does that name come anywhere to anybody? Well, that yeah. sounds familiar, yeah. Well, he was mayor during the, the Depression and was able to get money to put the water coming from Pine Valley into pipes instead of ditches. Mm. And so the ladies were able to turn on their water tap and get water, not poop. <laughs> and uh, so th- it wasn't until clear up to 34 that they got clean, clean water in the house. Wow. 1934 was, uh, was uh, almost, uh, my dad was born in 35. So. Well, so that's why most of them had a well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's can get water that, that was uh, a little more pure. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, I wanted to talk with Doug, since he's a historian, a little bit about what he's what he's good at, and that's uh, talking about the history of St. George. And we all kind of know the basics, you know, and, and things, but maybe if you would illustrate a little bit about what it was like when the, Saint, when, when the pioneers first came down here. All right, now let me tell you, there's a certain man who has a slight influence in this community named Brigham Young. Yeah. Brigham Young was counselor to Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith developed what's called the Mormon village system. He rejected the uh, uh, 640-acre, uh, what are they called, great pieces of homesteads. Homesteads. Because the homesteads spread the people apart from each other. He believed that they should live fairly close to each other. Now, I don't know that he knew what he was doing. He, was, he knew he was copying New England, but New England copied Europe. And the European system to this day, the people live in the village and mm-hmm. go out to the farm, which is just five acres. So that's what they did was, uh, when they got here. Uh, Brigham Young did not want 50,000 people gathered together in Salt Lake City. He wanted them spread all over the land. Yeah. And so he drew up a little plan of what the village was like, and it was blocks of 10 acres with eight one-acre lots on them, and the women raised the family's food on that, and the children were the slaves, <laughs> and while the husband and the oldest son were out farming. Okay, so when this town... Oh, well, why did they come here? Yeah, why did now, they come here? I want to read you something that I hope everyone has heard. That's a lot of fun. Early in the time they were there, they sent us an exploring party all over the state. And the leader of it was a man named Parley P. Pratt, or mm-hmm. Pratt's brother. Sure. And this is what he said when he stood up on the Black Hill and looked out. And he said, Showing, It shows no signs of water or fertility, a wide expanse of chaotic matter, presented itself, huge hills, sandy deserts, cheerless, grassless plains, perpendicular rocks, lone barren clay, dissolving beds of sandstone, (laughs) lying in inconceivable confusion, in short, a country in ruins. It is dissolved by the pelting of the storm of ages, or toward inside out or upside down by terrible convulsions in some former age." How's that for a description? That, that's not real flattering of what he. I think we should use here. that in in the uh, chamber of commerce <laughs> and send it to everybody. Yeah, the uh, A design. Have that be our our tourism advertisement right there. Yeah, but Brigham <laughs> Young 
was concerned. Brigham Young was politically astute, and he did not want Arizona to become the headquarters for some other group like the Mormons, such as the Methodists or someone else. And then there would be the same clash that they had had in Missouri and Illinois and so forth. So he decided uh, to get serious about the area below the... uh, the below uh, Cedar City. Mm-hmm. Now, he was not the first one. He had an adopted son by the name of John D. Lee. John D. Lee. We've heard that name a few times. And John D. Lee was pushing him constantly to let him start settling the uh, what we now know as Washington County. And he finally gave in. Now, they had a headquarters in Parowan. And had an apostle who, who was in charge and had a residence there. Only he was only there occasionally. George A. Smith. Okay. Where did the name Saint George Saint come George, from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they agreed to let him f- uh, f- form Fort Harmony. Now, as you know, out of Fort Harmony came Santa Clara. Out of Santa Clara came Gunlock. Out of Gunlock came Pine Valley. Hmm. Boom! You had four little towns. Yeah. And then. Uh, the Indian chief uh, tried to get uh, him uh, him to let some of the people come down and live with him at, now here comes my old mind, I can't remember, yeah, at uh, Tokerville. Mm-hmm. All the people didn't want to go down and live with the Indians at Tokerville. Well, savvy as they were, ha ha, <laughs> after John D. Lee left uh, Harmony and went down and founded Washington, uh, Toker got five or six people to come down, and boom, they founded that it had the greatest water in the entire county. Oh, yeah? And to this day, it sustains a little village called Harrican. Harrican. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then you have uh, Tokerville, and then from Tokerville you get Leeds, and then you get um, Virgin, and then you get, um, what's the town before Springdale? Rockville. Rockville yeah. and Springdale. All of these exist before St. George. Hmm. Well, so they're mostly individual initiatives. Yeah. So Brigham Young decides that what he wants to do is already underway, and he wants to take charge of it. So he decides to build a capital city. And he calls George A. Smith in and said, I want to send uh, 300 families down there to found wow. the capital city. 300. And he had already been down and got next to the Virgin River and saw something that would solve another problem, and that was cotton. The mm. Civil War was coming. They would not be able to import cotton cloth from the east. What if they could found a commercial cotton system. And so St. George was supposed to be... uh, Now, he got the idea from people in this area, particularly Santa Clara, who were already raising a few cotton uh, things, and they'd sent them to him and showed him that it could happen. It can work. So he came down, found a good piece of property, which we now call Tonequint, Mm -hmm. called uh, 15 young men down, 
to spend a year raising cotton, and they sent it up to him, and he was thrilled. And he sent them a letter of praise and said, do it again. (laughs) Then he came down and inspected the crop and raised his hand. He got up on a little hill near there, which is now the Confluence Park, and uh, raised his hand and said, there will yet be a town at the foot of the Red Hills with towers and steeples. That was to be the the, the capital. Mm -hmm. And so they called 309 families to come down. Some of them, Orson Pratt and Horace Snow, were in charge. Orson Pratt hated the idea of St. George. It it was a bad location. He thought Rockville was much better. Higher, cooler, more water. So he took some of the people up there. But Orson went where Brigham Young said, and they founded St. George. And then he went up and told Orson to get with it. He had been instructed to be at the foot of the Red Hills, and he brought his people down. So Hmm. St. George got going. Now, as you know, the day they got here, it started to rain. (laughs) And it rained 30 days and flooded out the town of Santa Clara. I, I did not know And that. a good portion of the people were discouraged and said, Brigham Young had a dumb idea. Let's <laughs> just go on to California. What is Erastus going to do? Well, he called a meeting and said, now you have your free agency. If you want to go to California, do. But, but be sure you take quite a bit of lumber in your wagon because 75 miles from here, you will be at Death Valley. And that's where you will be buried. Most of them stayed. (laughs) And so they went about. uh, uh, Brigham saw this problem with the people, and he said, what they need is employment. And so he invented what is called the WPA. WPA. I'm not familiar with that one, Doug. Oh, yes, you are. I am. It's created by Franklin Delano Roosevelt to get people employed. Okay. And told them, sent them a letter and said, I want you to build a church that will seat 2,000 people. Wow. What would you have thought? Well, we don't have 2,000 people. Yeah, <laughs> you do one. have 2,000. Are there? Oh, there's 2,000 down at that point? But uh, you, you brought 2,000 people okay. into 309 families. Okay. Oh, my God. How in the world are we going to do that? How would we make, and yeah. how are we going to change Brigham's mind? We aren't. So he got out his list of people and started figuring out how to build a construction company and how to finance it. And Brigham Young told him that all of uh, uh, Iron County and uh, Manti area would uh, send their tithing down to help build the building. And uh, then, uh, so he he got a he got several companies. One company was to do uh, to quarry sandstone. Mm-hmm. Now, what year are we talking right now? What? What what year are we in? We're talking eighteen sixty five. Okay. Uh, as when they actually started, but they started planning it earlier. Okay. They got here in 1861. So you got one company working on the sandstone, get, getting it out of the hills. Uh, sandstone. Yeah. Then he had to have a rough carpenter company that would work on the foundation and the uh, ceiling. Then he had to have a finished carpenter company, 
And then he had to have people who took the sandstone and made it into bricks, either rough or finish. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go over there today and look at the look just west at the school, it's rough sandstone. The the tabernacle is finished sandstone. Oh, okay. Okay, so they waited for the plan, the plans. And uh, he, he said he wanted them to build a building that seated 2,000 people. Sure. And Erastus just about collapsed. <laughs> well, then came the plans and said, uh, we uh, only want you to do 1,000. Oh. And when he looked at the plans, he nearly collapsed. They were a 100% copy of the uh, Old North Church in Boston. Oh, really? Which is a 100% copy of the Methodist Church in Manchester, England. It is New England architecture, perfect. Mm -hmm. A substantial national building. Well, and then it said, we know you can do everything except the glass. Don't worry. We'll order the glass in New York. And send it around the horn, and when it gets there, we'll send you a message, uh, and you go get it. And, well, so and, they went to work. And, of course, there's no Panama Canal back then, so the words that say around the horn, they have to go all the way around South America. Right, yeah. To, to get the glass. It has, has to go around South America. That seems like a delicate trip. To a place called Wilmington Docks, north of San Diego, or north of Los Angeles, I think. Okay. And uh, so they go to work, and uh, they do very, very well. And then here comes a letter which says the glass will be there in so many weeks. Take six wagons down to pick it up. P.S. You'll have to take $800 in American cash to pay the shipping costs for the glass. Hmm. The Mormons didn't well, use yeah. American cash. Oh. It was all barter. Oh, my golly, how's he going to raise that? Well, it's a fascinating story, but anyway, they raised $225, but a man came and gave them $600. Really? And his name was Nielsen. And uh, Erastus had known him well when Erastus was the president of the mission in Denmark. Well, so they went down, got the glass, and brought it back and put it in and did the second phase of the building, which meant that they could start the interior. They couldn't start the interior until they got the glass in. And your assignment is, next time you go to the uh, tabernacle, Mm -hmm. figure out which panes of glass are original and which ones have been replaced. I I am fascinated with the idea that they could ship, I don't know how much glass was it, but around... I mean, months on a, on a boat around the, the 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 Cape Horn, around South America, and all the way up, and then take it on a wagon from L.A. to Utah, and and it not break. I mean, <laughs> I, I break glass when I try to take it a block. Oh, oh! Speaking of that, yeah. When they got there, the ship was was lifting the glass off, and it mm-hmm. got it down to about three feet next to the ground and uh-huh. dropped it. Oh, and. Uh, they said, we're not going to accept that glass. You've got to open those packages and take all the broken glass out. We'll only take glass that isn't broken. So your, your issue was exactly right. There was some broken ones, huh? Now, uh, so in the meantime, the Civil War came and ended, and uh, the railroad came, and they could bring cotton 
Let's let's t- let's take a quick timeout. I've got to get a weather break in, and then we'll continue yep. where we're where we're headed. I'm with uh, Dr. Doug Alder, former uh, president of Dixie College and a historian, a man with a wealth of knowledge. And the Andy Griffin Show brought to you in part by Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a local mortgage expert specializing in customer service. Joe's been around for more than two decades here in southern Utah, and uh, it's amazing. His reviews online, uh, 4.8 stars are the reviews he gives. That tells you he really is good at what he does. Let's read a couple of those reviews real quick. Uh, This is Tristan in Nephi, Utah. said, Joe is quick and knowledgeable to work with, highly recommended to anyone. Uh, let's go down to Suzette in St. George. says, I've done two transactions with Joe this year. He's professional and thorough. I believe he can get any reasonable deal done, and he's always looking out for my best interest. That's Joe Shoney. You want to know how to get a hold of Joe? It's joe.shoney at nafinc.com. That's his email address, joe.shoney at nafinc.com. Phone number is 590-6300. Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. The number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Dr. Doug Alder, former uh, president of Dixie College and uh, longtime professor at uh, Utah State University, as well as Dixie College. And uh, Doug is uh, a historian. And uh, do, do all those uh, facts and figures rattle around in your head and sometimes run into each other, Doug? Uh, no, I go look them up and write them down. Go look them up and write them down. I, I, maybe I should try that because I tend to get all those. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've been I've been doing sports here in Southern Utah for twenty five years, and uh, some of those numbers all start to run into each other in my head. So, yeah. but I appreciate you coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to see you and and to meet you. My parents speak highly of you, and and uh, the fact that you uh, you can ham it up at times. And I know you have some fun <laughs> and stories. I think that's what we ought to do. Yeah, let's do it. I know you have all some right. fun stories, so ham it up for us. Well, uh, I want to tell you some stories about the people. Here's a woman, Lola Bell DeMille, talking about her childhood in a little village named Rockville. Mm -hmm. And she says, Rockville is hemmed in by beautiful mountains on each side, and Virgin River flows down through the Green Valley. I had four brothers and sisters. We grew up untouched by civilization. Mm. They they never drove to St. George. (laughs) Why bother, right? Uh, We had freedom that is seldom known, and we were so isolated in this small town. In those days, the only means of transportation was by horse and buggy, so we didn't travel very far. We roamed the mountains, hills and valleys. We watched birds, gathered wildflowers, and had a wonderful childhood. In spite of the hardships, that's important, which we had to endure, but most everyone was poor, so we didn't notice it. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone was like us, so you don't know. All right. Yeah. Now, here's a famous story many of you have heard. Mm-hmm. Brigham Young uh, knew that they couldn't just export cotton. They needed to export cotton cloth. So he personally paid to build the cotton factory. And so people were working at the cotton factory all the time. And on the main floor, there were a lot of girls. Up on the up, upper floor, there were men running the big machines. Well, a guy from Manti came down and spent a day, or maybe a couple of days, and at noon, the girls would go out on a kind of a little bluff and, and have their lunch. And so, uh, the last day he was there, he went out and stood up and yelled at them and said, I am so-and-so from Manti, Utah. 
My wife explained to me that I could not come home until I had brought another wife with me. <laughs> so take a look. What you see is what you get. I'm leaving at 4 o'clock. I would like to take one of you with me. And, and, and did it he work? Did. It, and he, he did. did. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, let's see. Some of you have heard the folk tale that Brigham Young didn't like the cupola that was built on the first, the t- first cupola that was on the temple. And shortly after de- his death, it was struck by lightning, and they replaced it with a larger one. Right. They, of course, and everybody's saying, well, they, Brigham Young arranged for it. Everyone said that yeah. Brigham Young sent the lightning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we historians have searched and searched, and he never said anything negative about the cupola and said the temple was just as the Lord wanted it. So, anyway. So, that's an old wives' tale, then. Now, have any of you heard of the feds coming down to arrest polygamists? No, oh, really. yes. yeah, they, they, they the feds were going him. all over the state arresting polygamists, and finally they decided Washington County was in the state. So they sent people down, and two guys down regularly, and they would stop at Silver Reef for the night and then go down. There were two girls that worked in a store there, and when they saw the feds, they sent a telegraph to a store in St. George and said, send us two chairs. That meant, get ready. <laughs> get ready. That was the code. Okay. And so all of the polygamists went into hiding. Now, there was a very significant polygamist who was the president of the temple named Wilfred Woodruff. Okay. He loved to fish. And there was a place called Atkinville that was built on a pond. And he knew the Atkin families, and he would go out there and fish. Well... In order to get away from the feds, he would go out there dressed in a woman's dress and stand in the pond and fish. Wilfred Woodruff went in drag to go fishing. <laughs> okay. Too bad we don't have a I've told you the story about Erastus Snow and Death Valley. Uh, let's see. What is this other one? Uh, can't read that one. Okay. Now, a a recent one that I personally experienced. Okay. When Dixie College was founded, the first year, the students went up on the Red Hill and wrote Dixie. Right. They were high school students. Okay. Well, then in in, in, in 1916, they started adding some college classes, and those students went up on the Black Hill and painted a D. Big D, yep. All right. Now, each year, the students of those classes are expected to go up and paint the, repaint it. So the Dixie High School kids go up and do that one, and the Dixie College kids go up and do that one. Well, the first fall when I was president, I figured I'd better go up there with them as this, uh, and participate. And guess sure. what they did? What did they do? They painted me. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they do that? <laughs> okay. Now, you know about the Opera House. There's a uh, fun tale there. There was a place called Silver Reef. Mm-hmm. And those miners loved to come down and go to see the vaudeville shows at uh, the uh, opera house. And it was generally about a woman, uh, a villain and a heroine. 
And so they were sitting in the second row, a bunch of them, and uh, here came the villain with a weapon ready to get at the, the heroine. And uh, so this miner pulled out his weapon and said, let her go! <laughs> and fortunately, the person next to him hit his hand and it shoot off and made a hole, in the, hole in, the in the ceiling, which is still there. I guess I guess he was. Maybe they were really good at acting, huh? And and he believed it. Uh, those are just a few little uh, <laughs> things. Now, uh, I love to when I'm teaching these road scholars people. I say, now, you've got to uh, raise a garden and a farm. What do you need to make your plants grow? Water. They all immediately say water. Yeah. And I say, well, we have a major shortage of water. Yes, we do. Now, I want to point out that John D. Lee was the guy who did, founded the first two towns, Harmony and Washington. Mm -hmm. We think of him with uh, the um, Mountain Meadows uh, Massacre, but anyway. So, uh, the pioneers had to live by irrigation. Where are they going to get the water? Mm, Virgin River? Virgin River. Yeah. Even better, Santa Clara River. Mm-hmm. There is a place called Pine Valley. Right. And there are about 10 major streams coming off the, uh, the mountain. Snowmelt, right? So some of them yeah. are put into canals and put into uh, to, uh, St. George. Some are put into reservoirs. And so there are reservoirs all over the county. Mm -hmm. So you have one at Central to capture some of it, one up in Pineville to capture some of it, a very important one at Gunlock to capture some of it. Now, I've got to tell you about Gunlock. When, about 1948, uh, the county applied to uh, Congress for $28 million to build a, a reservoir as big as Hoover Dam oh, wow. over near Hurricane. And they got it funded, and really? it included Gunlock. And uh, so they got the site and found out that when the water went in it, the water went in the ground. Hmm. So they moved the site, but then that meant they couldn't make money on, on them making electricity. So they ended up having to give it away. So uh, the irrigation system had to be set up. But more importantly, reservoirs had to be set up. Sure. And they built uh, the Quail Creek, and you'll remember that it broke one time. Yep. But the important dam today is designed so that the water will go into the ground, and then they go down below it and take it out. And if we ever get the Colorado uh, no, pipeline, Lake, Lake pipeline yeah. it will land right there in Sand Hollow. Go into the ground and pick, uh, be taken out. So hmm. all over from Zion Canyon to to uh, Gunlock, we have reservoirs, and uh, that's been absolutely essential to uh, make that. Well, what's the difference today? It all happened on one day in 1973. Okay, I was seven years old. The freeway came. The through freeway, the, yeah, yeah, and a fascinating story why would arizona pay to build that road to utah and when you're on that road you can't get to arizona even though it's in arizona hmm. 
And it's because of the governors. Now, you know that Arizona and Utah are Republican. And Utah had a Democratic governor and so did Arizona. (laughs) And they wheeled the deal. (laughs) And so we had I-15. And the day after I-15 came, a telephone call arose in every corporate headquarters in the United States said, St. George needs a Costco and three Walmarts, and, <laughs> and, 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 and if you go on Main Street today, there's no grocery store, there's no barber shop, there's no women's apparel, it's all for tourists, and all of the stores are out on River Road, and they're all national. Yeah. 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 Huh. Okay, hotels... Yeah. Restaurants, pickleball courts. Is there something like 90? I like, I like pickleball, by the 30, way. Uh, do you play pickleball? I do, yeah. And then there are 30 trails and on and on and on. And we have become, oh, and I want to point out high culture. Mm-hmm. We have two major art museums. We right. have two symphony orchestras. We have two major yeah, art museums. And uh, we have a dozen theaters can yeah. you imagine we yeah. used to have one yeah that's and uh, then we have a little college that's become a university when i was president there were two thousand students there are now ten thousand students wow in 1965 there were five thousand people in saint george there's now a hundred thousand i was stunned the other day to hear on the news that logan is fifty thousand people yeah and cedar city's less than that mm-hmm. and here we are uh, when you watch television and weather, you get the North and St. George. Yeah. Well, it's a whole wild new world. <laughs> it sure is. It's still a desert. Mm-hmm. It's still short on water. But do you think we're limiting growth? They try to limit growth when I first came and found out it really isn't legal. Right. Because if you limit growth, then the people just build a house one foot outside of the of the circle and go in and use all the facilities and live out there and don't pay taxes to the town. That's right. So anyway, it's a fascinating place to be. The air is good. It is, yeah. The the sunshine is fabulous. The scenery is fabulous. And the many seniors who come and live here are a fantastic plus. They don't use the schools, but they always vote for the school bonds. They go to all of the cultural events and restaurants. They bring all of their families in and use the hotels. They do all of the cultural events and don't cost us anything in pay taxes. Well, and uh, we did a story yesterday on the news that uh, senior citizen population in St. George is as healthy or healthier than any senior citizen population in the entire United States. That's yep. a pretty big deal. And that's not funny. That is something to be terribly proud of. I love to tell people, St. George is a town where people stop for the stop sign, even if there's nobody coming on on the other road. That's true. It's a land of <laughs> order and harmony. <laughs> it sure is. You know, I, I first of all, thank, thank you again for coming on. I'm with Dr. Doug Alder. I wanted to ask you a little bit about water. Um, you know, the, the history of water, you, you gave some of it and talked about the reservoirs and the rivers. Uh, what about the future of water? I know you're a historian. You don't necessarily look at the future as much as you do the past. Well, we've but... got to have more reservoirs. We've got to have more water. Yeah. Uh, the environmentalists say just outline law, outlaw lawns. 
Now, when the pioneers yeah. came, they didn't want to live in a desert, so they created an oasis around each town. Yeah. And now it is legally required to have lawn. In Las Vegas, it's legally forbidden to have lawn. Mm. My son's an environmentalist and wants me to run for mayor, and I told him I'll run for mayor and I'll lie lawns and the next day be assassinated. <laughs> By the grasshoppers. So <laughs> we have to have more water because we're going to have more people. So the Lake Powell Pipeline, pretty good idea in your mind, in your opinion? Oh, there's ten reasons for and ten reasons against. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's going to be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it will not be cheap. But if we build it now, it's going to be necessary eventually. If we build it now, it's going to be a lot cheaper than if we build it in 20 or 30 or 50 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, let me tell you a screwball idea. Underneath Pine Valley Mountain, there is water. Mm-hmm. And it flows to California. Ooh. And the state does not allow us to tap it. Really? That's a, a, a state, national system. If there was any way we could tap it, we would be solved. And Las Vegas is taking a good amount of Pine Valley water in a canal to Las Vegas. Hmm. If we had that water, it would be fine, but Las Vegas would be in terrible. Yeah, we'd make a lot of enemies with our, to, to our neighbors from the south. But I'm so. going to be in the cemetery. <laughs> but well, they may not, they may not uh, water the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not too soon, Doug. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where we'd like to keep you around for a little bit longer so you can continue uh, sharing your stories with us. I did want to talk about Dixie College a little bit. Now, your time as president, was, was it, uh, was it being, being a professor, I know most, professor, most teachers, they're born to teach. That's what they like to do. As a, as a president, I don't imagine you got to teach as much as you wanted to. So did you enjoy I being, very little. Did you enjoy being president then, or did, was it kind of hard? It was very hard. Was it? And my job was fundraising. Oh. And see, that's why R.J. Snow should have been the president. He was an expert at it. Master fundraiser. But we just had to raise all kinds of money. We created Hanson Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Love Hanson Stadium. And now, we created uh, the Gardner Center and uh, four buildings. Got, got the housing building started and uh, so forth. So... Now you it told was me, fun, though. I had great, great people to work with. The college is, has uh, undergone quite a transformation over the last uh, couple of decades, hasn't it? Yeah. For the better, yes? Yep. I yes. Just, just loved it. But, you know, it was a two-year institution. Mm-hmm. And I was coming from a major research university. Right. Yeah. But I told them the two-year uni- institutions are the democratic factor in the United States. In Europe, they don't have anything like that. Really? And the kids are, are at age 10 are decided on which ones can go to college and the rest have to go into tech stuff. Hmm. Whereas here, everybody can go to a community college and uh, some of them are very bright and some of them just finish the two years. Hmm. So can you tell us again a little bit more about the, the uh, Road Scholar, they call it? Now, it, used to, it was Elder Hostel for a long time. Now it's Road Scholar. Uh, they bring groups. You said groups of 40 from all around the country. It's, it's, they pay. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a charitable yeah, institution. Yeah, they pay the money to Boston. <laughs> to Boston. <laughs> and then we get reimbursed. And, and, uh, and, and they basically come, uh, say you're in New York or maybe in Michigan and you want to see Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, you can come. Is it mostly for seniors or is it only for seniors? That, that yeah, come it's up? only for seniors. 
So they can come here. They pay you the have money. Have to be over fifty. All right. Well, that, then I'm a senior. Yeah, you would. I'm, fit I'm in. over fifty. You would fit in. <laughs> so they they come come here and uh, basically t- they. My, I know my my brother is still doing it. Eldon Griffin. Do you know Eldon? My brother Eldon Griffin. Anyway, he he does that, and, and they go. They'll go out to Bryce Canyon. They'll go out to Capitol Reef. They'll go out to several other places. Yeah, we are getting close time wise, aren't we? Maybe you can leave us with one more. Maybe one of your favorite stories about St. George before we go. Okay, I get do another story. If you can, if you have one short one, we have about about a, about a minute. Okay, I did not mention uh, uh, Maureen Whipple, who wrote one book. Okay, and it was an attack on polygamy, and the major figure that she's attacking was the president of the temple, who was oh, a major okay. polygamist, and the book became a national, just top level book. But the people in town did not like it. And a block from her lived a woman named uh, um, Juanita Brooks. And she was jealous of this woman because she was a great writer and Juan, mm-hmm. Juanita was just learning. But Juanita ended up publishing 16 books and uh, Maureen only one. But it was a big one. All right. Thank you, Doug Alder. Dr. Doug Alder, former president of Dixie College and great historian. Really appreciate spending time with you today. You bet.